Like I say, we're entering at chapter 13, partway, about a third of the way through the book of Acts. And, uh, and if you're not familiar with the book of, the, uh, the book of Acts, no problem, uh, you're welcome. And, uh, and we are going to today treat these first 12 verses as a bit of a summary of the first 12 chapters, uh, as well as uh, setting us up to see what we can expect. Because we see in the, in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, a bunch of key themes that are repeated even here in just 12 verses of chapter 13. And uh, if you took part in one of the growth groups that met during the week, um, I do encourage you, if you're not a part of one, uh, to talk to either myself or Bernard or John uh, to, um, to see how you can be involved in one. Uh, then you will have um, looked at some of these things already during the week, most likely. We follow the same series uh, during the week as we do on a Sunday. So there's a bunch of points that I'm going to bring out, and it looks like perhaps um, the screen cuts off the bottom one. So there's six points today. Uh, Mission, Holy Spirit, Paul, God's Word, Opposition, and Gentiles. And we're just going to breeze through all of them, but I made a massive blunder in making the very first one the longest one. So you're going to feel in a few minutes like this is just going to go on and on. Uh, But the others, I promise, are much shorter. But mission. There's so much to say about mission as we look at the book of Acts. Um, There's two episodes in this short story that we read from the first 12 verses. The second is that main one, that dramatic one with Paul Barnabas and John Mark in Cyprus uh, where the politician believes but the prophet is blinded. Um, That's episode number two. But number one, there's so much in those first three verses. It's what takes place in Antioch in verses one to three, where the Holy Spirit sends Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And the book of Acts really is broken into um, these different sections surrounding the missionary journeys of Paul as he heads out. Uh, If you've got a Bible that has maps in the back of it, there's a map, there's a bunch of maps that you will almost always find. Um, And the last couple almost always include maps of the missionary journeys of Paul uh, compiled from the record in the book of Acts. So uh, we're in missionary journey number one as it kicks off today. And there's this question in Acts, this overarching question, and, and people today still come to Acts with the same question, Well, now that Christ has risen, now that he's ascended into heaven, what should life look like now? It's the same question. It may feel less pressing 2,000 years on today. What should life look like now that Christ has risen? But it was a very pressing question back then. And in chapter 1, Jesus tells his closest followers exactly what will come next. He says, In verse 8, chapter 1, a key verse for understanding the progression of the book of Acts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. These words Jesus spoke to his disciples in Jerusalem. Um, Judea is the region that Jerusalem lies in, um, so not a huge stretch for the word to extend there. Um, In chapter 10, we find a centurion in a place called Caesarea is converted. That lies in the region of of Samaria. But today we arrive at this story in Antioch, and the church is all the way in Antioch, at 500 kilometres as the crow flies, as the crow flies, 500 kilometres as the crow flies north of where the mission started in Jerusalem. 
Now, 500 k's we can do in not too much tr- with not too much trouble today, but 500 k's back then is a huge stretch. You must begin to feel like the end of the earth has almost been reached. But of course, uh, even back then, they knew that the end of the empire uh, was so far from being reached. But now we have Antioch, uh, a new front uh, in, the, in the mission of the church, uh, taking the word of God out. And even though it's reached this far in Antioch, the, mer- the mission is so far from complete in the eyes of those in the church here. And we find them sending out from Antioch a fresh wave of missionaries, which is exactly how it ought to be, isn't it? Uh, at no point is the mission over, um, and, it, and at no point should we start to believe that the mission is only ever centralised in one place and can only ever go out from one place. No one location is any more important uh, than the others. Uh, it's not Jerusalem where our heart lies, it's certainly not Rome. Um, But in fact, the mission uh, will extend from different fronts as time advances. And so where the first missionaries did come from Jerusalem, um, here we see a wave leaving from Antioch. Today we see uh, Palestine is still, in fact, one of the leading percentage-wise regions for sending uh, missionaries. But South Korea, China, all these nations are rapidly catching up uh, in sending missionaries across the globe even today. Um, it's so encouraging to me that uh, the people in, at, at our mother church in Biloela did not consider that sitting around uh, doing church week in, week out in Biloela was the end of their mission. Um, how encouraging that they've thought um, and prayed uh, and strategized to see God's mission go even further afield. Um, and the way they've supported us here in Emerald uh, is a true encouragement. I hope that we never fall into the into the pattern of feeling like we've made it, like this is it and this is all we ever need to do. We're going to talk a little bit about church. As, as we think of mission, um, how do you see that fitting into the work of the church? I, I feel like I come across roughly two different um, groups of Christian people in church. There's those who feel like church is about worship, about the gathering, Uh, and what we do while we're here, singing, praying, hearing God's Word. And there's those who think that church is primarily about mission, um, about taking, about uh, evangelising, about taking the Word of God further and further afield. Um, I want to say that in Acts chapter 13, what we see is that church is absolutely about both, and they feed into one another. You see what happens in verse 2. While they were worshipping, the Lord, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And, it, and, it's, and it's through this worship gathering uh, where they're serving and worshipping the Lord and spending time in devotion and prayer um, that they learn this new, uh, this new part of God's plan to send uh, these missionaries out into the rest of the world. And so church is not just about uh, what we do on a Sunday. It can't just be about what we do on a Sunday. Although even what we do on a Sunday is not merely worship. What we do on a Sunday really is mission. Because when we gather around the Word of God, when we spend time uh, in each other's lives and extending love and encouragement to each other uh, in the name of Christ, we are doing mission. Um, It's helped uh, in imagery for us by the fact that we meet in a school hall. We're not in a church hall or, or a church 
church building uh, set apart from the world, but we meet really in the guts of community. Um, but we still need to work, don't we? Uh, because there's not school kids running around us right now. We use it in a different time and space. Um, but even as we gather, uh, even as we do what Christians do in devotion and worship to God, this is part of the mission because we gather around the Word of God. But uh, what we do as church needs to be about mission out there as well, about what we do uh, not only in our own personal lives uh, and how we try in our own personal efforts of evangelism to meet with one another, but how we do these things together. One great way uh, to reach your friends for the sake of the gospel is to, uh, is, to, is to introduce them to your other Christian friends. One great and practical and helpful way uh, to get around to those gospel conversations that you might struggle uh, to get around to is to involve non-Christian people, the other friends uh, that you have in your lives, in the lives uh, of you uh, and your family and your other Christian friends. Uh, and, as you, and as you do these things, you'll have more opportunities to share the gospel with others. If you want to be about church, about worshipping God, then you need to be about mission. If you want to be about mission, then you need to be about church. As we think about the sending of missionaries as well, I do hope that as time goes on, we'll be able to see um, people from this church, from this congregation, um, who have gone on to actually do mission work across, uh, you know, across the world or in other parts of the world. Um, it's, um, it's encouraging, isn't it, when we had Glenn, the mechanic from Theodore. Um, he read the Bible for us a few weeks ago when his family was visiting. A uh, mechanic uh, grew up in the church, but also grew up with a passion for the gospel and for others to respond to the gospel. Um, and here's a man who, uh, who has left a stability uh, and left a good income uh, to study theology so he can be trained for the mission field, uh, to do whatever it takes to share the gospel. Um, I do hope that in time we'll see people from ordinary backgrounds um, take really special plunges like that for the sake of the gospel. We also have an opportunity coming up, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, when it comes to the Committee of Management. Now, that may not sound very exciting to everyone, but... Uh, when we can start taking a bit more ownership uh, for the resources and the funds that we raise as a church, then we can start channeling those things in more strategic directions. And it's exciting to me that, that, that one of those uh, directions we can start channeling money towards is towards mission. We can start using it more freely and readily for what we're doing here, but we can start actually partnering with people uh, on the front line of mission in all other parts of the world as well. And so um, even as we manage uh, what resources we have in front of us, we can be absolutely, as God's church, a part of his mission. I said that's the longest one. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is about mission, just as church today is about mission, but mission is not simply an act of obligation uh, or even of strategy. Uh, mission does not happen without the action of the Holy Spirit, who is God. Back in chapter 1 of Acts, verse 8, uh, you'll remember that verse that I showed up here before. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and only then will you be my witnesses um, to the end of the earth. Jesus says this also with the plain command to not go anywhere, 
or do anything without the Spirit's having come. By chapter 13, however, the Spirit has come. By today, the Spirit has come. There's no longer any need to wait. Uh, But having come in that first dramatic event, uh, event in Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 12, the Spirit isn't now silent. In chapter 13, verse 2, the Spirit speaks, setting apart Barnabas and Saul for their first missionary work as partners. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of it? What do you make of it in verse 2 when the Holy Spirit speaks? Do you think uh, that that is a thing that happened just then? Or do you think that of that as a thing that we might expect to see happen today? I know that there will be some people here with no problems at all believing that He, the Holy Spirit, does still speak like this today. There may be some here who have major problems with that on the grounds that all necessary revelation from God has been prepared and wrapped up for us already in this book, the Bible. I want to confess my own tendency is with that second group of people. There's a few reasons for this, I think. Um, One reason, and some some of these reasons are good and some are bad. One reason I tend to think that the Holy Spirit doesn't still speak like this today is experience. I've, got, I've gathered a few too many stories um, of people embarrassing themselves and hurting others in their own witness by claiming that they received a word from God that turned out to be their own fancy. I've seen too many people lead um, aimless and irresponsible lives claiming that it was God who told them to chop and change and do each of these um, you know, proceedingly uh, ineffective things. And so by experience, I get suspicious when people tell me God spoke to me in a certain way. Another reason I tend to not think that God speaks this way is my personality. Uh, I don't know if you've gathered this about me, but I actually am a self-conscious guy. Um, Operating in high school and university around people who prize and value things like rationality, anything with the ring of kookiness about it, um, I find more convenient to just explain away. Anything that sounds like, uh, you know, a voice in your head seems easier to not deal with. Uh, In some ways, it truly is more convenient for me to believe that God doesn't work like this anymore uh, in a way that some of you will identify and some of you won't identify with at all, and that's fine. One of my tendencies, one of my reasons for thinking God doesn't speak like this anymore is, uh, is theological. Because, as I said before, all necessary revelation from God for salvation and mission has come in Jesus and has been preserved for us in God's Word, the Bible. But, so long as the mission of Acts 1 verse 8 to the end of the earth is still ongoing, it does seem reasonable to remain open to the ongoing speaking of the Holy Spirit. But if we learn one thing about the heart of the Spirit today from Acts chapter 13 and from the whole book of Acts, clearly the heart of God's Holy Spirit is bent towards mission. In most people's lives, the Lord seems curiously quiet on matters like who to date and what career to choose. But in your prayers about mission, I wouldn't be afraid to ask God for direction. Who should I speak to? Where should I have coffee today? Um, How should I go about reaching this person? Who should I be praying for? God, speak to me. Well, I do want to say whether or not God 
or his spirit um, seems to speak up in that moment, don't be afraid to act. The promised spirit has arrived. The promised spirit does, in fact, live inside of each of you who are sons and daughters of the living God. The time for waiting that Jesus commanded to the disciples uh, in, the, in Acts chapter 1 is over. The spirit has arrived. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to sit on our hands. The spirit has come. The time to act is now. I'm going to talk about Paul. This is not a huge point, more of a summary point. The early chapters of Acts, uh, if they focus on any one person, it seems to be on Peter, uh, the, the one who Jesus said uh, was the rock on whom he'd build the church. By the end of chapter 7, we're introduced to a man called Saul, who, as I spoke about to the children, was in fact persecuting the church. Now, as a changed man in chapter 13, Saul is the one on the front line a dramatically changed man. The one who previously was trying to stop the word of God is now on the front lines. And there's another change in Saul that you've probably noticed in verse 9. Mid-stride, the author simply states that he was also called Paul. And from this point on, Luke, who wrote the book, calls him nothing else but Paul. Luke doesn't make much of a deal of that, and so neither will we, but from now on, we too will call Saul Paul. And really, the, the rest of the book of Acts follows Paul's life more closely than anyone's. The Word of God. In the second half of our passage, uh, in, in the real action points here, we're reintroduced to another major character in the book of Acts, and that is the Word of God. In, 12, in chapter 12, verse 24, just a couple of verses before where we started reading today, it says, The Word of God increased and multiplied. In chapter 6, verse 7, it says the Word of God continued to increase. The Word of God isn't really spoken about like this in any other part of the Bible except in the book of Acts that is tracing uh, the mission of God. And here we find uh, the Word of God enter centre stage again. Reading from verse 5. So Paul and Barnabas have taken off to, um, to Cyprus across the sea. Uh, And they've arrived at this one point in particular, Salamis. When they arrived at Salamis, verse 5, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. And at the very end, in verse 12, it's the teaching of the Lord, the words that come in the teaching that he ultimately responds to. But the Word of God is both the purpose of the missionaries and the hunger of the man who is lost. I reckon there's something in that. So I'm going to say that again. The Word of God is both the purpose of the missionaries, but it's also the hunger of the man who is lost. So as a church whose goal is mission, the, che- the teaching of God's word must be primary. If we are about reaching people with anything, we need to reach them with God's word. It is our purpose to speak the word of God. But we should focus on it with confidence. Because as it happens, God's words are exactly what needy people want to hear. It's not only what they need to hear, but they will hunger for it. They may not know it before they hear it. They may not sit in their own space thinking, gee, I wish I had someone to tell me 
the word of God in the same way that you don't miss what a thing that you've never had. They may be cunningly hardened towards it by years of practice, but it is exactly what they need and also, in fact, what they want. People, um, we shouldn't be discouraged uh, from teaching the Word of God as our primary goal in mission because we need to know and understand that the needy man and woman really does want to hear it and they will respond. In whatever efforts, in whatever efforts we make to reach our neighbours out of love for them and a commitment to God's cause, we should always be making a beeline towards sharing the gospel by word and do it with confidence because you will find people who will soak it up, who will be waiting to hear it. Another common theme is opposition. Whenever the word of God is progressing, our opposition isn't far away. It's an almost monotonous formula throughout the book of Acts. The word gets preached, someone takes offence, and they face opposition, either imprisonment or threats or plots against their life. In this case, in verse 6, we're introduced to a magician, a Jewish false prophet, false prophet named Bar-Jesus, also known in verse 8 as Elymas the Magician. And he seems to be in the position of spiritual advisor to the proconsul, the Roman official over this part of Cyprus. And we don't learn, in fact, an awful lot of detail about the actual events here. But at the point that Sergius, the proconsul, begins to take an interest in the word of God, Elymas takes an immediate and deliberate interest in shutting this down, whatever means. We learn two things about God's mission here as we focus on opposition. It will always meet it. There will always be opposition. But the other lesson is that the opposition will never prevail. God's word cannot be stopped. Verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And verse 12, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, believes the word of God cannot be stopped. The final point, which as it turns out, there's not room on the screen for, is just about the Gentiles. Through the book of Acts, up to this point, chapters 1 to 12, we see the word of God start in Jerusalem and it spreads out to the Gentiles, the nations. The not all, Gentile is a word for all non-Jewish people. Um, and, it, and it's quite a surprise um, and quite dramatic when it happens. Um, and, and uh, in the book of Acts here, chapter 13, uh, we see this same formula come about. There's the pseudo-Jewish man, the false prophet, Bar-Jesus, who will not have a bar of the word of God. But the Roman official, the man who, should, uh, who stands uh, to lose so much more by the progress of the gospel, the man, who, um, the man who has lived all his life, most likely, uh, not following the word of God, um, he is the one who, at the end of the at the end of the story, is so captivated by the by the gospel uh, that he is changed. He is the one who responds to the word. Throughout the book of Acts, we learn that there are absolutely no second class citizens 
uh, in the kingdom of God. There are all, um, all people are called to respond to him. In fact, every one of us in the eyes of a good Jew would be considered Gentiles. But everyone here who calls God uh, his, fa- his or her father has been saved in the same sense. Binding all of these things together uh, in the first 12 chapters of Acts and in the chapters to come, I think, is um, in, in point number two there. It's the Holy Spirit. We will learn so much, not just about what happens, not just about what church should look like or how we should live, but we will learn more and more about God. So much of his heart is revealed in the Holy Spirit. God, um, in the way he works through church, is absolutely about mission. His Holy Spirit uh, is absolutely devoted to the Word of God going out, to people being saved, and to people like you and I being driven uh, and empowered uh, to speak and proclaim the gospel. We see that the Holy Spirit is in the business of transforming lives. Um, We will see that in the Holy Spirit, uh, all opposition will and can be, uh, be flattened. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, will prevail. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you uh, for your word, the book of Acts. We thank you for the captivating stories that we will find in it. We thank you that they're not just tales and legends and myths of the past, but in fact, uh, they are true stories of true events. So, Father, as we lead our very real lives today, uh, we give you thanks that uh, what is true back then is true today, that your spirit still speaks. Your spirit still acts uh, to make your word known. Your spirit is still in the business of transforming lives. Your spirit is still in the business of drawing uh, vastly different people together as one, as brothers and sisters uh, joined uh, to your son Jesus and joined in him to each other. Father, we pray that you will bless our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, Help us to learn not just how to live and what to do, but fill us Uh, with a vision of who you are. Help us to learn more about you uh, so that we can serve you better uh, and love you with all our hearts. We pray in your name. Amen.